Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. Before we get started this morning and I go any further, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, recognize the fact that this week was we celebrated uh, Veterans Day. Um, some of you all have some folks that have fallen on the front lines for our country, have served us well, and uh, I have a number of family members in my family that have done so too. So this is what I want to do. Before we go any further, if you have a family member that is serving now or has served in the past, or you yourself has served, what I would love to do is if you just stand, and I just want to recognize you and, and put, it, put our hands together for you or your family member. Would you just stand with me? Yes. Thank you. I mean, honestly, a lot of the freedoms and the things that we get to experience today, even sitting in this church building together, all different colors, different backgrounds, would not be so if people didn't fight for our country and our rights. So I'm so thankful for all of you all that have fought for us um, and those that are serving for us now. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open that up with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to be in one verse today, but before we get there, I have a few words. So as you're flipping to meet me there, a few words to uh, this Crossing the Line series. Anybody been loving or enjoying this Crossing Line series? Yeah, it's been good, right? It's been encouraging for my soul. It's been challenging at times, but it, it's been a great series, and I hope it's been good to you. Today is going to be our last Sunday in this series, at Crossing Lines. And if you've missed any part of this, maybe this is your first Sunday here at Renewal Church. I want to say welcome to you, but if this is your first Sunday, jump on our website, go to our podcast. You can hear uh, all the sermons be in this series as well as before that you can hear about what God's done here as well as in this series and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you as it's been for me and many others here in this place well today I want to talk about marriage I want to talk about marriage and I'm going to preach for a short period of time and then I'm going to actually have a panel of myself my wife and and the Greers up here on stage and we're going to get a little vulnerable with you and just share our experience in marriage and dating and all of those things on down the line now, I know, though, the question becomes when we talk about crossing lines and all the things we've talked about, like meeting the other person, seeing the person that may be different or other and may be classified in our life. Like, I don't want to talk to them, but but in, instead, the Bible calls us to cross the line with the individual. The question becomes, why talk about marriage in this series? Why, why talk about marriage in a crossing line series? And hear me, family, this is the biggest, probably the most impactful crossing lines ministry that many of us will actually engage in at some point in our life. And it's simply at the same time the hardest. See, as opposed to the romanticized view of marriage in society, the biblical view of marriage is not about your happiness. Now, happiness may come as a result, but it's not about your happiness. Marriage is the most sanctifying thing that those of us that will get married will engage in. And here's why. In marriage, you have two completely different people, sinful as can be and damaged and, and all these things coming together to form a covenant that's not supposed to be easily broken. And that, that's hard. Because at the end of the day, when something gets hard in your relationship or something goes wrong, you can't just tuck tail and run out the door. See, when, when you're not happy, 
when you're not when you're not happy, it's it's unlike the world. You, you you can't just you can't just say, well, it's on to the next one for me. I'm done with this relationship. Let me go find another man or another woman. It's the next one. No, no, no. The marriage union is the first covenant God created between man and female, between two humans, and the covenant between the male and female is to resemble Christ's love for the church. Thus saying to us, family, is that marriage is not really about you or your happiness. It's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. This this is the closest thing that we have, this closest union that we have that resembles Christ's love for the church. See, now with that bit of information, is there any wonder why marriages are under attack? Let me say this plainly. Satan is attacking marriages. This is the union that resembles Christ's love for the church, the oneness between the man and the woman. He does not want to see that prevail and go forward. Because people get to see Jesus in that union. He doesn't want to see that happen. He's plainly attacking it. Let me give you a little bit of statistics. Marriages today are ending in more than 50% divorce. More than 72% of black children are born to single-parent households, 53% for Latino, and 30% for white. There is an epidemic with marriage in our country, and living in this individualized society that we live in today, people are aspiring to get married less and less. And even if they do get married, when they get into the marriage relationship, it's not about the betterment of the other individual. It's about what they want. It's about their needs, their gain. It's not about seeking the betterment of the other person. And hear me, we simply just don't know how to cross the marriage line correctly. So we got to talk about this. And the question becomes, why marriage? Why why would God design it? How did he actually design marriage? So look with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to do something different this morning. I'm going to have us all read it together since it's one verse. So it's going to be on the screen. You can read it with me. Let's read it together. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not I will make him a helper fit for him. Very words of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on shortly why marriage. Why marriage? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your goodness and just your love. God, I pray that you will be lifted up in this moment, that you would decrease me so that you may increase. Father, have your way in this place. Let your word fall afresh on your people. In Christ's name we say, amen. This morning, I have three quick points that I want to get to you before we have the panel. Three quick points. I use these when counseling couples in pre-marriage counseling or as well as in marital counseling. And these three points are marriage is to mutually complete one another. Marriage is to number two, multiply godly legacy. And number three, it's to mirror God's image. Let me say those again. It's to mutually complete one another. It's to multiply a godly legacy. And number three, mirror God's image. Now, in our text today in Genesis chapter two, it further explains the first chapter in Genesis in more detail. And at this point, God has placed Adam in the garden. 
He's given him orders to work the garden and have dominion over the animals and all the other creatures that roam the earth. See, now dominion means to control. But in this sense, it means not only to control, but it's more than that. It means to make something flourish, to make it better. And for my men in here, check this out. There is no Eve at this time. She's not around. Before God makes Eve, there are certain things. Pay attention to this. There's certain things that are in order in Adam's life before Eve comes around. Number one, he is solely occupied with what God has told him to do to the point that he's not even concerned with looking for a spouse. I think y'all missed it. I'm going to be hard on my men just a little bit right now. But too many men are out here trying to find a woman or a spouse and have no relationship with God. And if God has called you to be the head of the household spiritually and lead that woman spiritually, then how are you going to possibly do that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I mean, how are you going to lovingly serve her, give of yourself, if you don't know the one who's done that for you first? Hence, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and given himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. That's what he's calling men to do. Give yourself up for your wife. Adam here in this passage knows his identity as a son of God and what he's called him to do. And see, here's the thing. There are too many men that have a mistaken identity. There's an identity crisis, or, or we don't know how to live up to what God has called us to live up to, and marriages are declining, and women aren't being led and loved correctly. As believers, hear me, men, you are sons of God. You're sons of God, and he's called you to lead spiritually, but you can't do that if you're not running after Jesus. If he's not leading you. The second thing we see here is that Adam is that he has a job. Let me say it again. Adam has a job. He's to work the fields. Now notice I said job. I did not say rich. He has a job. He's not rich. Hear me. You don't need to reach a certain status before you get married. Some of y'all out here, I got to get to the CEO level. I got to make this happen before I get married. I got to get all these things in line. Look here. If she loved you when you was a broke down janitor, she's going to still love you when you're a CEO making millions of dollars. That will not prove your love to her more. See, love and leadership don't have dollar signs. It's all about how you love her, how you treat her, how you give yourself up for her. I I could preach on that all day long, but that's another sermon for another day. What we see with Adam in this text is that, number one, Adam knows God, and he knows his identity, and number two, he has a job. And then God says, notice God says it, not Adam, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And, and here's the word for everyone here, not just men, but men and women the same. Stop trying to look for a spouse so much and consume yourself with the things of Jesus and let him bring the spouse in his timing when it's the right timing. See, and then when you're so consumed with Jesus at that point, when he does bring the right person around, you don't even really want him because you have everything you need in Jesus. Be consumed to that point. 
See, see, Adam gives us the biblical picture of what singleness should be like right here in the beginning of the Bible. He knows his identity. He's consumed with God and nothing else. And then he has a job. He's providing for himself. See, then God brings Eve. See, hear me. It's not always this, the case. But, but, but sometimes we're not married because we don't have things in order in our life. Sometimes God is a God of God is a God of order, and sometimes we don't have that spouse because we're not. Things are not in order. Hear me. Be consumed with God right now and what He's called you to do. Be faithful in the little things, and then let Him bring the spouse in His timing when the time is right. And some of you guys are like, "Well, I am waiting on God. I'm waiting on that one." Let me break that theory down a little bit for you, a little bit here. See. Let me help you get rid of this whole one. I'm waiting on the one person because God doesn't even do that right here in the Bible with Adam. He doesn't even do that here. When he says man should not be alone, look at the text. If you got your Bible open, look at it. When he says this, man should not be alone, what's the first thing he does? He doesn't make Eve right away. He brings the animals to Adam. And in verse 20, it says there was not a helper found that was fit for, for him in all that he created, in all that he created. Now, what I'm not saying is that God wanted Adam to marry some pig or something and roll around in the slop. I don't need y'all running out of here talking about Pastor D said, go, go marry pigs and go marry animals. That's who we're supposed to be with. That's not what I'm saying here. Y'all missing the point. The point I'm trying to make is that God went through a lot. He went through a lot of things first trying to find Adam some companionship before he made Eve. But when God sees there's no companion for Adam that's fit for him, he makes Eve. But check this out. Adam is the one that says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. At last, she's mine. It, it's not, God doesn't say she's the one. What's the point? Don't over-spiritualize choosing a spouse. There's no such thing as the one. God presented Eve to Adam after the animals in the text and he didn't let him know that she was the one Adam chooses her and here's the thing I need you all to hear this and this is even probably even bigger than that I need you to hear me when I say this see when we're focused on the one a lot of times when we're thinking about that one person really most of the time it has nothing to do with God they not have anything to do with waiting on God. All it has to do is you checking off your checklist of all the things you wanted in a spouse. And, and, and that's not waiting on God. That's just plain old selfish. Can we be honest? That's just plain old selfish. And, and marriage is not about all the things that you want or all the things you want in a person. It's about you seeking the betterment of an under, another individual all the days of your life, laying down your life, not for your gain, but for them. Now hear me. This does not mean that God cannot divinely design a spouse for you. He's God, he's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants to do, but you don't know who that person is anyway. Even if he does divinely, he, they're not running around with an S on their chest saying spouse, here I am. No, they, they don't do that. They're not doing that at all. God, the, even, God doesn't necessarily speak audibly to you saying that's the one too. 
He didn't do that with Adam. He just brought her. He presented to. And here's the thing. If you're like Adam, and this is for men and women, if you're like Adam and you're solely consumed with the things of God, your focus is only on God and not being married or who my spouse is going to be or who this person is. When God presents that woman or that man in front of you, you will notice them because the only thing you're consumed with are the things of God. Be consumed with him and who he is. And here's the big point, though. God goes through a lot of trouble to find Adam a companion. From beginning with all that he made, bringing the animals, trying to find his companionship there, and then he makes a whole new person. And and here's why, and hear me. Here's the point. The reason he goes through all this trouble is because we were not made to be alone. We're not made to be alone. Now, this is mind-boggling for me, though, because as I read this text, Adam is with God. Perfect peace, shalom, he's with God. He has all that he needs right there in the beginning, all his fullness, he's there with God. But he still has this need for companionship. He still needs more. God made him someone that was suitable for him, a helper. Now, hear me, this helper word does not mean less than or inferior, It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that without this other person, Adam was incomplete. He was incomplete. Now, for my singles in here, don't hear me saying that you being not married are going to be incomplete for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm saying. All of us are complete in God as he's made us in his image. However, God can bring someone along that will help you do things in your life that you've never thought you could do or never thought you can accomplish by yourself. Therefore, making you somewhat incomplete. This is where we get this fact where I talked about in the first point that spouses mutually complete one another. This is simply because with them, you can do things and do much more than you could do by yourself. Simple things like in my marriage... I'm very persistent. I'm the guy, I want to charge the hill. I want to take everything by storm. I can be pretty bullheaded sometimes with people not listening. And my wife is very different. She's very strong and and she completes me because she'll she'll sit back and she'll think a lot longer or or better through things than I will. She's she's more harmonious when she's thinking about people. She's thinking about how they feel. And I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, she's just flat out fine. I mean, so if we walking down the street, she just makes me look good, y'all. She completes me. Can I talk about, she's the wonder in my wonder bread. She, she's the aftershave on my bald head. She's all of that and more. She completes me. I, I can talk about my wife. That's what we're talking about this morning. We mutually complete one another. Now, the second reason God created marriage is to multiply a godly legacy. And I won't spend a whole lot of time here because we spent a few week, a weeks ago, we spent a whole Sunday talking about parenting. In Genesis 1, 28, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And I've said this to you before, but for the married Christians in here, having children, whether that's through adoption or through physical birth, it's not an option. It's a command. God commands us to have children. And, and why is he doing this? It's because it, through him blessing us with children, whether through adoption or, or physical birth, we get the privilege of extending a godly legacy as Christian parents to raise up the next generation and see them go out and lead in a fallen world. We get to see them do this. For parents, if, if this is probably one of the biggest 
if, if not the most important discipleship ministries you will have in your life, which is to pour into your kids, to raise them up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord and see them go out. And what better example to give them than a God-fearing marriage where we love Jesus together and we exemplify what what Christ's love looks like for the church together? What, What better example to give our children than that? Which leads to our last point. Marriage is to mirror God's image. It's to mirror God's image. This is where I begin today. But many of us have this marriage relationship all mixed up. We have it all mixed up and we think it's just about our happiness and that's not true. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 27. It says that God created us in his image, male and female, which means that, that we, we were created to be together in relationship and together we, we, we mirror his image, all of his, his goodness and his, his love, his character. We do that together. See, everything we do is to reflect him and point to his glory. And through glorifying him, what happens is that he's pleased. And in return, we get to experience his blessings. But many of us get married for the wrong reasons. We get married for the wrong reasons, hence happiness and sexual desire, financial reasons. It's better to live together. And and, and then we end up dissatisfied. We start referring to marriage as the old ball and chain. I'm locked down. I can't do nothing now. I'm, I've been here for 10 years. It is what it is now. That, that's where I'm at, you know. And we start having midlife crises and we, we commit adultery and we become consumed with our kids or our jobs or some extracurricular activity. You notice you're at the gym too much now instead of with your spouse. And, and this is all because we don't understand the fundamental principle that marriage is to mirror God's image. See, it's through the marriage relationship that people get to see a vivid image of what Christ's love looks like for the church, which is part of the reason many people are not believing in Jesus anymore. I mean, the first union that God created to resemble his love for the church is failing. It's through the love that a man and a woman share together through the ups and the downs, through the long suffering, through weighing through each other's sin and their mess together that people get to see how God loves us, how he looks at us and goes through the mess with us, how he saw us in our mess, but still yet steps out of heaven and dies for us. It's through that relationship that we get to see how Jesus loves us. Friends, marriage is not supposed to be easy. It's not just for your happiness. It's for your holiness. It's for your holiness and for a broken world to get to see a glimpse through your marriage of how God loves us. Marriages, as I said last week, the same thing with singleness, won't last forever. One day, Jesus is going to crack open the sky. He's going to come down and he's going to call all those who believe to himself. And we're going to have a Big old marriage, big old wedding. We'll be united with our king. That's the marriage we're really looking forward to. But until that day, the Christian marriage here on earth is to mirror God's image in hopes that as people see our relationships, they'll get to see Jesus. Let us be a people that seek to glorify God in our lives and in our marriages. Amen.
Let me pray and I'm going to bring the panel up here. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness, all your love towards us, Lord Jesus. I pray that we be a people that resemble your image and that marriages will lift you up in every facet of it, God. May you be the one that's glorified in all we do, God. I thank you for who you are, Lord. And we look to a day where we'll be lifted up and, and live with you forever, God, as believers. May you have your way in this panel. May everything that we say and do be glorifying to you. God, we thank you for who you are. We pray all these things in your mighty name. We all said together, amen, amen. amen. All right. What's up, guys? You guys know all of these people up here, these fine folks? No, you know how. This is my fine wife, Kaylee. I'm going to let her talk in a little bit. And we got the Greers over there. Hey, Luke and Lindsay. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, today we just wanted to open up and just kind of give you guys a glimpse into marriage and just talk about um, just our lives and what God has done within our marriage and what that looks like and how um, he's done different things in our lives and just share our testimony with you guys a little bit. So I just want to start out with just kind of just letting people get to know us a little bit, like where are you from, like what, you know, what did the family dynamic look like for you? Was there a healthy marriage for um, you growing up? And, and then, then how how'd you guys meet? You know, how'd you, how'd you come to be? You know, how, how did you get this whole marriage thing in line? Let's start with you. Go ahead. She uh, tells the story better than me, so. Well, I can, we can start with um, family growing up. Yeah. Um, my parents were divorced when I was about 18 months, um, and then both remarried uh, when I was really young. So I had um, an interesting view of marriage. It wasn't, um, it wasn't great, um, but I, I feel like God this is kind of a story all through my life. God has redeemed um, what I saw growing up with marriage. Um, when I got married to Luke, I feel like God just showed me, oh, this is what a marriage can look like. So, um, My background, I, I grew up with two parents that love each other, still do. They've been married 41 years in August, which is pretty amazing. Praise God. Yeah, and it's authentic. I mean, it, I don't think you make it usually to 41 years. If it's inauthentic, they are just vacation together and they're happy. And um, so I had a, di a very different model, I think, just watching, and it was great. And I still watch them and still learn from them. Um, uh, so a very high view of marriage in, in, in like a, a, the best way, what it can be. And, and it's not that it's all easy either. I got to see my parents work through hard stuff. And um, so, yeah, that would be a, a, a summary of my upbringing. His um, dad uh, calls his mom Vixen and chases her around the house, and it's adorable. And my, <laughs> my kids are always like, oh, my word. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, my word. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> um, so for how we met, we met in college. Um, I'll give the really short version. If you want the long version, it's kind of fun. Um, later, I can tell you that. Um, so basically started college and saw him like across the room, like a movie and was like, holy moly, um, <laughs> want to know him. And, um, and then proceeded to like kind of insert myself into his world as much as I could until he relented and we went out and then. <laughs> 
he realized how great I was, and I was like, I was trying to tell you. Um, yeah, and so we got married uh, while we were still in college, and then shortly after we graduated, we went on the mission field, and I feel like that's kind of where we learn how to be married, so. Yeah, what she said. Um, so I grew up in a single mom household. Um, my dad actually committed suicide when I was about three years old. Um, and then my mom was six months pregnant with my younger sister. So I have an older sister was four, I was three, and then my mom was six months pregnant. So it was just hard um, growing up. And so my view of um, marriage was just kind of seeing bits and pieces of other people. Um, and not until we got older, um, I was in high school and I was involved in this high school ministry and um, one of um, the couples I just really clung to and watched their marriage and how they loved each other, how they had disagreements and how they battled through that um, lovingly with one another. So. Yeah, um, similar story. I think my family, uh, would, growing up, we... My father and my mother got a divorce when I was six and had three younger siblings. Um, so I'm the oldest of four and three younger sisters. So I, I didn't really have a father growing up around in the household with me. Um, but uh, my mother did a good job, I think, of getting me around strong men and coaches and things that could be around that could really um, just kind of show me what a, a man looks like. I, I really, until I met Kaylee, I didn't really see what biblical manhood looks like or um, marriage or parenting, all of that looked like. And it's the same couple that she uh, was talking about that, that, that actually discipled and poured into me, shared Jesus with me um, when I was 18 years old. And, and so that was the first glimpse I got to see where I got to see families sitting at a table and the husband not yelling at his kids or yelling at his mother, uh, at the wife, and just praying over them and, and still disciplining them at the same time. And like she said, having challenges within their marriage. That was the first time I actually really got to uh, see that. So I, I didn't get to see that until I was 18 years old. And um, it was a beautiful glimpse of just what, um, as I said in the sermon, what Christ's love looks like for his people. Uh, so that, that's kind of my family dynamic growing up seeing that. Uh, it didn't happen until I was 18. Um, how did I meet this fine woman right here? I, um, man, Lindsay said it well. It was like a movie. Uh, downtown Indianapolis was Black Expo. It was like at least thousands of people outside. And um, some of y'all laughing because you've been to Expo before, right? Yeah, yeah, Expo was nice. But at nighttime in the summertime, it becomes like a car show. And we were downtown right by like Steak and Shake, I think it was. And I was standing on one corner across the street and I saw this, boy, I saw her walk across the street. And I, it, was, it was literally like a movie. That thing just stopped. Hair blowing in the wind and everything. I said, I got to go talk to her. I got to get her number. So I posted up on the wall, waited for her to come by. And you know, you know, you, you that hardcore post look, you know, you know, back then, y'all didn't know me back then. But I was standing, standing on the wall waiting for her to come by. And I, you know, we, I got her number, cool and calm and collective, and, and really uh, just talked to her for the rest of the night. And we hit it off. Uh, and that's kind of how we, we met. You want to share anything else? See, she, she gives a better version that's probably a little more calm. <laughs> no, that's how we met, and the rest is history. We'll tell you a little bit more in a little bit. So in the midst of, I think as we get into the second question, in the midst of the society and just kind of this whole 
I think the desire to marry, get married is a lot less sometimes outside of Christian circles or we, even in Christian circles or getting married a lot later in life, um, seeing that uh, value in it. What, why, why get married? I mean, what, what's the joy that you find on a day-to-day basis uh, just uh, being married and uh, being with the spouse now? You want to take this one first? No, you go ahead. Um, I think I think what you said uh, about there's it depends on what circles you're in, right? So some, this is my observation. Uh, there are parts of society that tend to really scoff at marriage and say, "Why would you ever do that?" and chain yourself and ball and chain that kind of stuff that you talked about in your sermon. And there are parts of society, typically in more traditional or sometimes in church circles, that tend to say, "How could you ever be single? And how can you find? How can you be complete? And how can you uh, live that way and not find companionship with somebody else?" And tend to look, in other words, like elevate one and really look down on the other. And both of those views. What's one of the things that's so wonderful about the Christian? about the Christian worldview is that both of those views are wrong. And the Christian worldview says, hey, God made single people and God made married people and they're both high status, they're they're both high stations, they're both beautiful and intended by him and they both reflect different aspects of Christ and church in unique ways. Um, And so I think, I I mean, I'm giving you like kind of a biblical answer, but man, if, if the Bible is informing what I think about marriage and so, um, why, what, is, what is my joy in marriage? I mean, fundamentally, it's because of why God made it. It's to reflect Christ in church, and it's um, covenant first and romance second. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. So, like, um, in other words, my Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, anyway, he was a uh, guy during World War II, a theologian and teacher, and um, he, he talks about marriage... Um, in marriage, covenant sustains love. Yeah. Love doesn't sustain covenant. And I, th- I think that that is something that I like lean back on to answer your question about like, what is the joy in marriage? It's like that we're in this no matter what. There is covenant. Um, and uh, we're, we're going, sometimes we're going into battle. Yeah. And um, I, I think for me, that's what really resonates and like keeps, um, keeps me excited. And, and actually in a way, sustains the romance and the love. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Um, he's got all kinds of wisdom, and I'm like, and yeah, that's good. Um, I, for me, I'm, I'm thinking kind of personally just like about our, our situation. Um, being married, I feel like, makes me more um, like God intended me to be um, on my own. I'm uber selfish, like the most selfish person. And so being married, um, I think especially to Luke, because he's amazing, um, helps me to be, (laughs) just ask him, um, helps me, um, I mean, it's just like the chipping away, you know, God kind of like molding me into what what he wants me to be. And then also a part of that is um, my kids being able to see kind of what you were talking about. My kids being able to see what what does a marriage look like uh, when God put it together and when we're really um, striving after Him and because I didn't I feel like I didn't really see that very much uh, growing up. Um, yeah, so it's I, I, again I feel like my my story is just God redeeming things in my life and and like every day kind of like redeeming me more and more um, through hard times being married and stuff like that. 
Um, I could definitely piggyback after the, after that, um, or off of that. Um, just the how God has really redeemed um, my view of Him, and also marriage, being married um, to Derek, and just seeing him with um, with our girls. It's just been like so healing, like just little glimpses of just God just healing my heart um, about. It's just been, my heart was just so broken by my dad um, and not seeing that marriage relationship and God redeeming that um, through watching him with our girls. Um. (laughs) I just love how God looks looks at us and see what we need. And, um... And God just showing off, like, through Derek, uh, how he, um, I always desired to have a dad um, correct me, um, love me, um, protect me, and seeing him do that with the girls has just been so redeeming. I love this woman. Man. Um, I think the joy for me is... uh, it's somewhat similar, similar in a lot of what everyone has said. I think, uh, um, I think growing up the way I did is that you, you kind of, being the oldest and not having a dad around, you kind of learn, I learned to kind of put everything on my back and just, I don't need anybody. I can make it happen and I can get through life and I can charge any hill that I want to. And that's different for everybody. Sometimes it's the other way around. But for me, that's kind of what happened with the divorce. And, you know, so I'm always a provider doing this, making it happen. That was my kind of MO until I met my wife, you know. So when I met Kaylee, I automatically thought, well, she needs to be more like me and this, this, and that. And it's like, no, God made her opposite from me to complete me. So where I may be impulsive on something, she's not. Um, where I may not think through something as much, or I may get there quicker, she may, be, she may get there, but she may not be there when I get there, which is good because I need to slow down a bit. Um, and uh, I've, I've become a better pastor, a better husband, a better man, a better counselor, a better provider because of my wife and the way she thinks about things, the way she's a harmonizer and I, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm become more of a harmonizer and love people more. I love y'all, but, you know, just, just being able, because she is that way, um, it's, it's a joy for me, even more of a better evangelist. I sit there and watch my wife cry at night times over uh, just people that don't know Jesus. And at the beginning, I was like, what is going on? Because I'm more, I'm more of like, a, I want to pour my life out and disciple people. She's like, I just want to share Jesus with everybody. And for me, that's helped develop and cultivate a heart to just to want to share Jesus more on the front lines. And so um, that, that, to mutually complete one another, it is really, uh, I've been able to see that a lot more in my relationship with my wife. So I'm extremely thankful for her. Um, third question I want to ask is, what did it look like to date? What did it look like to date one another? Um, speak to waiting, just in contentment and purity um, for a spouse. And I think we'll, we'll take this one first. We'll jump in. Um, I've shared little bits and pieces, I guess, a little bit about our relationship through sermons and things that I've said. But um, 
I was not a believer when I met Kaylee. Uh, she, she was rolling with Jesus. I wasn't. She was leading Bible studies and things of that nature. I didn't. I kind of knew cognitively who God was, but I, you know, was not, I wouldn't have said Jesus was the savior of my life at all. Um, I was doing whoever knows, knows what. I was an athlete in the city. Um, I was not a virgin. She was a virgin when we met. And um, with that, when you heard me talk about the glass illustration last week, being able to kind of the, the person that's running for Jesus and the person that's not, and one's pouring out into the other one trying to get the other one, that was us. And so she's continually pouring her life in. I'm taking her down a deeper. And, and it's not because I want to make her fail or anything. It's literally because that's all I knew. You know, sex was a way of life. Being in a relationship, that wasn't something that I didn't have a conversation about the birds and the bees or sex until I was 19 years old. So that was just some, what I saw on TV or what people, I just thought it was a way of life. So it wasn't that I just didn't respect her um, spirituality and who she believed in. It's just I didn't know. Um, so she's continually pouring out, and for the first year, you know, I was depleting her well. And then I met a guy named CJ that she was talking about that kind of showed me the way, too. He shared Christ with me um, and, and loved on me, discipled me, had me in his house. That's when I got to see this biblical picture of marriage. And, and in that moment, that's when i like, oh, this is why I'm not supposed to do these things. And the Bible talks about the marriage bed being undefiled and, 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 not, and being pure and I didn't get that. It's just like, this is, I want to do it. This is what I should do. This is what society tells me to do. So this is what we should do. Um, and not really making it about living for God and his glory, meaning that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pure, not because I just want to abstain, but because I want to glorify God with my life. So that was kind of the first year of our relationship. And then when I came to know Jesus, it flipped. So here she is depleting her soul, trying to give to me, and now she's depleted, and I'm filled up, and I'm trying to pour out. So it was this constant battle of us pouring back and forth, um, and this is why I say don't, don't missionary date. Don't do that, because we're a living testament of that. I know you're looking at us like, well, you guys made it. No, we didn't. Um, this was four years of just ups and downs, roller coaster rides, three broken engagements. Three. Three. I didn't say one. Three broken engagements where, um, and, and, and one is enough. There's a lot of heartache in that. And, and CJ told me at the beginning of our relationship, he said, look, if, if you guys are not in the same place right now spiritually, you can do this the hard way. You can break up right now and let God work on you guys individually or, and, and trust hopefully that he'll bring you back together. Or you guys can work through this, through the ups and downs. And my bullhead itself said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through it. We're going to make it happen. And we broke up three different times, three broken engagements. The last time was six months of us not being together. We had moved on. I'm dating other people. She's going out. And if it wasn't for the grace of God uh, waking me up and running after her and, and pursuing her, she didn't want me back in the picture. I had to work hard for that. And uh, we ended up getting engaged and married. Um, so that's kind of what that looked like. Um, I think... But with that, some practical tips with marriage and purity, because I didn't say this, when we, got, when we got into college, we were celibate, even though we were working through all of that. After the first year of not being celibate, we were celibate for three years. So that became a serious priority where we're not going to have sex with one another, which meant that if we're going on dates, we're going to public places, we're going to Starbucks, we're going out to eat and we're sitting around other people. If we weren't watching movies at the house alone unless somebody was at the house because that's how much we valued God in our relationship. So there were nights where literally I'm like, don't hold my hand. I, you, you can't do it tonight. 
because I'm there. That's where I, you're too fine. I'm, I'm, I know myself. Um, so don't, we can't do that. I can't kiss you on your cheek. I'm just there tonight. If I'm not going to be able to slow down. It's like you take a bite out. Y'all got your favorite cookie. Get in your mind. You take a bite out of that favorite cookie. You cannot put that joint back in the jar. It's, it's one of those things. You know, this was, that was kind of how serious it was. My accountability, CJ, at nighttime, at 11 o'clock, he would call me every night. Where you at? CJ's married with kids now, but this is how important it was. Where are you at right now? I'm at our house. Okay, well, if you can kiss her, give her a kiss goodnight, but if not, I'm going I'm to stay on the phone until you leave. And he literally would stay on the phone. If I hung up, he'd call me back over and over again because that's how much he valued and wanted, me to, wanted to see me run for Jesus, and I did too. So I wanted that type of accountability. So we needed that in our relationship. And we did that for three years um, until we were actually married. So um, just getting to know one another. And that helped too. Like without the sexual part, you're able to communicate on a whole nother level with one another. Um, and that's kind of what dating looked like for us. You want to share um, yeah, I just wanted to um, touch, like he said, I was a virgin when we first started dating and then wasn't. I lost my virginity to Derek. Um, and that was something that was really hard for me because I um, chose to sacrifice my relationship with the Lord to be with Derek. And although he's amazing and great, he he's not worth sacrificing that. So I definitely, I didn't see uh, dating him as missionary dating at first until we got into the the relationship and I was like oh I kind of like I really like this guy and I want to be with him and I want him to know Jesus and I think I can you know introduce him to Jesus kind of thing um, and kind of stuck it in there and really sacrificed uh, my relationship so um, trying to teach him about Jesus um, I was falling I was doing things that I, I didn't want to do and um, not really grow I wasn't growing in my relationship with the Lord um, and yeah, just surrounding, um, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, definitely have them, you know, you want to be with someone who loves the Lord, who's pushing you. Um, life is hard already and you need someone in your corner that's striving for that same goal, um, honoring God and glorifying him because that's our whole purpose in life is to glorify him. Um, so find that accountability partner that will ask you those hard questions. I mean, his wife would ask me, like, where were your hands? Where was his hands last night when you guys went on a date? And I would think about that when we're on a date because I'm like, I don't want to tell her, <laughs> you know, actually. Um, so, yeah, have someone in your corner that you are willing to be honest with. What was the question? <laughs> What's dating like for you? Speak to your, your dating relationship and just kind of being content and trying to stay pure before the Lord. Um, I mean, I think I can quickly give kind of two answers. One was, is some of our, our, our own experience and then like what I wish was our own experience. So kind of both and. Uh, Lindsay said it, you've, we've all said it, we think our, our spouses are really beautiful. Um, so our initial attraction was, was physical. Uh, we saw each other across campus and stars and lightning and all that kind of stuff. And it was great. And um, I think that's almost everyone, maybe everyone, enters into relationship in the beginning um, for superficial reasons, right? Uh, things like physical attraction, which isn't bad, but it's not enough to sustain a relationship or a marriage over a long term. So what I'm getting at is when we first started dating, we thought we were hot. And, you know, she is. And I guess I was. I don't know. And um, It just gets better. So, 
but it, it's not, I think that was, it, it, uh, Lindsay used the language of redemption. It was something that, that brought us together in the beginning, but it, it's not enough to sustain a marriage. It's like Kaylee was talking about, um, it's this being in something together with someone, with your eyes on God. And so, even though what brought us together initially, what typically brings uh, people together initially is a physical attraction, I would say, if you're sitting in the room and like thinking, what do I look for in somebody to date or a spouse, I would say, look for someone who you can stand shoulder to shoulder with and gaze upon the beauty of God. Um, like, like, gazing on each other's beauty is great. But we know one thing is that beauty is fleeting. I mean, we're, none of us are going to escape this. this is, these guys are like ridiculously beautiful, right? They're not going to be forever, right? Let's just say it. Um, it, it we, we know, it is a guarantee that, that, it, that it's fleeting. Another reason that people are, are drawn to one another is, uh, you mentioned it in your little mini-sermon, um, because of how much money the other person makes. Um, man, it... Those kind of resources, if beauty fades over time, money can be taken overnight. I mean, jobs can just be eradicated like that. And so instead of those kind of typical things that draw us to one another, um, think about, is this somebody that I, can, that I can be wonderstruck together with them at the glory of God and what Jesus has accomplished for me? Because that is an untappable and unchangeable and unwavering kind of thing that can sustain you over a long, long period of time. I just want to say one, one thing. Um, um, Luke loves Jesus more than he loves me, and that's what um, makes our marriage work. Um, if, he, if he thought that I was the ultimate thing, then I'm going to disappoint him um, daily at least, if not like hourly. Um, so he, he loves Jesus and he pursues Jesus apart from me and with me. Um, and that, that's the thing that made, um, our, our dating life work and and made us fall in love. Um, and, and I feel this, I mean, I'm, I feel the same. I love Jesus more than I love Luke and, and that's what makes it work. Um, specifically we dated for three years. We didn't do an on and off thing. We dated for three years and then got married and obviously have been married for a long time and um yeah so um I just wanted to mention during that time that Derek and I took that like six months break um I was just like on this I don't like guys I'm just gonna focus on Jesus and I found this book called Falling in Love with Jesus it's by Dee and Kathy um you guys can look at it afterwards, but it was, it's just called falling in love with Jesus. And it really taught me just how to love Jesus, how to fall in love with Jesus, um, more. And first, my first love before having Derek come back into the picture or somebody else. So that's good. That's good. Next question was, uh, I think we have this, this question about roles in your relationship, roles in marriage. Um, it's touchy a lot of times nowadays. Um, and going along with that, what are some things that you, keep to, you do to keep your relationship fresh, um, just kind of together? Um, what I, I want to do is just kind of break down this whole roles thing. We see in Ephesians 5 a little bit um, before we, and I'll have you guys answer a little bit more. But it just, the, uh, it, the, the passage talks about Christ loving the church as, and, and the husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church and the woman submits to the husband. 
Now, the submission part doesn't mean that she's lesser or anything like that. But if we break it down in the fact of how Christ loved the church, here's the piece that a lot of people miss. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for the church. He laid his life down. He was beat down to a pope. He was hit with whips all through his back, spit on, uh, just punched out, hung on a cross with nails in his hands. And he did that. So he served the woman and led her that way. He led his church and he, by dying, giving himself up for it. So the husband is to do the same thing for the church. Now, here's the thing. The church, there was no expectation necessarily that we were going to believe in Jesus. He did this because he loved us, hoping in return that we would come and believe in him. So the husband is to love like that and to love and lead her. It's not dominate. Or you, you listen to me, woman, and go cook my meal and wash my clothes. That's not what he's talking about. It, it's love and lead and serve well. So lay your life down for her and, and to present her without blemish and holy before the Lord. And what that means is that, that you're giving yourself of all the time, you know, literally dying to her, uh, for, for, like dying to yourself for her good, for her betterment, giving for her. And what happens is that in return... Who, I mean, it's, it's the same way Jesus, like who doesn't, like when you realize the goodness of Jesus, why, would, why, why don't you want to follow that? Like that is, when you realize all that he went through for you, it's, man, he served and led and, and did all of those things for me. Yeah, I want to run after that. And that's the way the husband is supposed to exemplify that. You're not Jesus in the, in the, at all, but you're supposed to exemplify that and love your wife the same way. And in return, she respects you and she submits and she follows that, that leadership, that spiritual leadership. To me, I tell husbands that your wife is your number one disciple. Like you should be pouring into her over. And if your wife and your relationship is horrible, you and you and everything else in this life, if my wife and my you guys forget me, pastor in this church, um, preaching sermons here, if this is not right. So if I'm not loving and leading her well, then nothing else in my life is, is right. So that passage is talking about that. It doesn't mean we're equal. It doesn't mean we're less than or anything like that. We have different roles. God has called that man to lead. And that's kind of the order of creation, the same thing I talked about in the sermon too. Now, why did God do that? I couldn't, I, I wish you, I don't think anybody can answer that. But that's not the point. It's the fact that God's sovereign enough and we have to believe he's sovereign. And a lot of the things is because I don't, I don't believe a lot of men have actually stepped into the role that God has called them to do and lead and love spiritually. Or we haven't done it the right way. Because if we do it the right way, women actually should flourish and like, like flowers in the field and should not feel limits. They shouldn't feel anything but feel free to run because the husband is loving the wife well. Um. And I definitely experienced that. Although being um, married has redeemed my broken heart, I also feel like I'm a better person because I am timid. Sitting on the stage is very big for me. I don't like these kind of things. But having him in my corner, like, pushing me. I do personal training. He, like, pushed me to get all this gym equipment and stuff at our house. I would never have done that if my husband didn't push me and do that and believe in me and give me that confidence. Um, and I've been reading this book, um, Word, Word-Filled a Women's Ministry, um, Loving and Serving the Church. It's by um, a couple women, but Gloria Furman and Kathleen um, Nelson um, wrote it together, the editors. But I just pulled out a couple things that um, talked about roles, and it said um, that a loving God placed order slash structure for this marriage relationship, and this order 
or roles that we don't like to say um, God placed was based on function and not worth. So it's how God, how God had made marriage and how he wanted it to function. It's not, I'm less worth than he is, have less worth than he does. Um, the idea of roles um, didn't become a bad thing until the fall and when it was now um, rejected and distorted by us. And so we have this, God's created women to be the helper. That willing helper now is conflicted with sin and now it's desire for his role. Um, and then that loving leadership um, that God had placed as his role is now conflicted with that rule, that um, ruling over, dominating over somebody, of, over the spouse. Um, and so these roles didn't come naturally. Um, they don't come naturally to the sinful heart. So now we have to beat our flesh. To to, it's not our natural inclination to do that. Um, and so this response belongs to the new self that we put on daily, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Um, nine that we put on this this new self um, at this role. Good. You start. Mm, there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I mean, you guys nailed it on Ephesians five. It's interesting how many throughout history, Christian history, like people return to that passage when we're talking about marriage. It's also interesting. You read from Genesis. I mean, it's quoted in Ephesians 5, it's quoted twice by Jesus, it's quoted again by Paul in Corinthians. Everybody's pointing back to God's original, like, the original wedding ceremony of Adam and Eve, and they're, they're this complementary pair. I think one way to, to quickly, like, kind of cut through some of our cultural sensitivities about role is to remember that Jesus actually exemplifies both the, 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 the woman's role and the man's role. So, for example... Uh, Derek, you mentioned when Jesus gives himself up for the church. So love, what does it look like? It looks like sacrifice, right? And uh, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. What does respect look like? It looks like submission. So when a wife, submit, uh, when a, when a wife respects her husband, it looks like submission sometimes. When a, when a husband um, loves his wife, it looks like sacrifice sometimes. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's, this, there's this cost to the person doing the act on behalf of the other person. Um, and when we approach marriage where it's like, what am I going to get from this? It's exactly inside out. Um, because the whole biblical picture from Genesis all the way to the end at the second uh, wedding ceremony when, when the bride of the church is presented to Christ, right, over and over and over again, it's the other way around. It's these two parties giving something else, giving something up on behalf of the other. Um, and so I think that, when we have that like, big, glorious, radiant picture, it makes um, roles beautiful and wonderful and, and, um, and, and mean something transcendent instead of like what it means for me today to, like I don't know, pick up the kids from school or something, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Uh, and there's some... We had a lot of different resources. Here's a book, uh, Kathy Keller, that we, I give out to anybody that asks questions about this. Uh, one thing I didn't say is, like, biblically, you do see, um, when we talk about this whole headed household spiritually and things like that, you know, biblically, we see that speaking to the house. We see that speaking to the church also. The workplace, I mean, anybody can lead. And that's kind of, I think that 
that that's where I think we allowed a trip like well we got to be the breadwinner in the house we got to do this like no that's not necessarily necessarily what it, now you need a job as a man um you saw that in the bible right you need a job but God has called men to lead in that way spiritually so um it's our job to do that and I love what Luke just said you see the the, the big picture with Jesus where he does both of those so that's mm. modeled in in Jesus um the women's role as well as the men's role so um last thing I want to do and then we're going to get into communion is I just any last tidbits of just kind of thinking through when we think about crossing lines just you know one of us can share just like maybe something that just uh when you like what's the value of having other Christian um, friendships or, or marriages or friendships or just um, even singles in your life too? Um, I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, we actually, as um, kind of part of the ministry, I feel like God has given us um, because I, I think maybe we are one of the longest married couples in the church, which is so funny to me because I feel like 20 most of the time, but I'm not 20 anymore. Um, but because we have, you know, a little bit longer um, history of marriage, inviting people over um, to see kind of like what our family looks like, the, our family dynamic with our kids and um, stuff like that, I feel like is, is one thing that we do um, as far as like crossing lines. Um, so inviting married couples over and inviting singles over. Um, and it's also like selfishly, it's, um, such a blessing to me, um, because our kids get to see, um, just like this wide range of people doing amazing things, living in the city and like loving Jesus, um, in really, really hard contexts and, um, and choosing to come to church on Sunday morning instead of going to brunch or something like that. It's just like, um, being a ministry family, sometimes whenever I look at non-ministry families, people, you know, in um, secular jobs, I'm like, that's just amazing that you love Jesus and then you come to church and you just choose to. Um, so being able to show that to our kids that um, you, can, you can have all of these, you know, amazing um, responsibilities and, and then you get to invest in my kids and I, I love it. And mm. it just makes their lives more rich, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. It's great. <clears throat> I, would, I'm, I would say also there's, you know, the, renewal has the three-part vision. Remember, renew, rebuild, release. That third one, the release, releasing people for city impact. Listen, there is almost nothing that this world needs more for impact than monogamous marriages and chaste singleness. Yeah. And, and what do I mean by that? I mean, I, I, I mean, the kind of marriages like my parents have where you're like, you see them 41 years, how much they love each other? That's, that's a, a distant echo of the kind of love that God has for people, right? And, and you see that single person who is living faithfully and, and contentedly, that's the kind of relationship that we can have with Jesus. There's almost nothing more that this world needs than monogamous marriages and chaste singles. And... Um, yeah, that's what I would leave you with. Uh, one things, that, one of the things that we do for crossing lines um, is we we have people come to our house um, to live. Um, we've had a couple women here from church um, that have lived with us and live with us now, and they kind of they get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of our our marriage and us with our kids, how we discipline. So just kind of crossing that line. 
Um, and then also, I just tell women, I'm at, I stay at home with my kids, so you are single women, married women, um, you're always welcome to come over to my house, help me fold laundry, you know, we can have great conversations cleaning the floor together. Um, but just learning from one another, I love hearing about what's new out there in the single world and what you get to do and um, hit me to what's going on um, too. We can, we can grow together um, just as women, um, not just because I'm married and you're single, but we can, we can bond as sisters in Christ as well. Um, so. Yeah, I think, um, and I'll end with this as we come into communion, is that uh, I think one of the misconceptions is that when we get married, we're good. We got it. We're on our own now. We're, we're on this island. And, and I think that's one of the biggest lies that Satan could give you is that once you get married, you're good. You don't need anybody else because here's the reality. It's two different people coming together. Simple as can be. You got all your problems and you're coming together trying to create this oneness union. And Satan does not want to see that come together. So there's little things that can pop up in your marriage. You can fight over the toothpaste cap and you didn't screw it on right or you keep the doors of the cabinets open and, and I like them closed, all those different things. And you need that voice outside or your good intimate friend that helps you continually running for Jesus um, and helps you look at your wife in the right way that can call you out um, and not always side with you like, yeah, she's wrong, she's wrong, this and that. That's not a good friend. You need the person that actually can call you out. And, and, and sometimes that's the single friend. Sometimes that's a, a married friend. Like what my wife and I, we do a couple times a year, we try to get together with um, friends that are married. And it's just like, you ever seen Why Did I Get Married? Not, not like that movie, but we like to get together and just hang out and just get to know one another, see what's going on there, how can we encourage each other. You need those type of friendships. Once you get married, it's not over. It actually is almost worse sometimes in terms of um, whether it be temptation or things that come at you that you didn't experience beforehand. Isolation, it, you can be very isolated in marriage. Uh, and it's even worse because the facade of looking at the marriage looks like you're not in isolation but now you actually are. So you need those type of relationships outside. And so as we enter communion right now, what a better time to think about that as we're thinking about crossing.